Hello, Intelligence listeners. Local internet celebrity, Christopher, more like CJ Voice Gamer, here for another edition of Great Moments in Marver. On September 5th, 2018, James the Padres decided to tweet, Anyone who races with Bowser on Mario Kart 64 is an imposter. As a former top 100 time trials in the world owner, everyone who is anyone in Mario Kart 64 knows that the three fastest racers statistically proven are Toad, Yoshi, and Peach. Thanks for joining me for another beloved edition of Great Moments in Marvel. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Quintelligent Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Points Millionaire, H.J. Preller. Wow, thanks thanks for the plug, Marver. Yeah, well, my, I'm staring uh, at pointsmillionaire at gmail.com <laughs> on my screen right now, so that's why uh, you got that courteous introduction. Yeah, you know, I like to recognize my uh, nearly but not quite defunct uh, Points Podcast quite a bit, so, so thank you for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so what are you doing with all those points right now? Because there isn't really shit to do with with them. I mean, I'm sure there are things, which makes me curious. But but what do you do with a million points in uh, today's world? Uh, four and a half million right now, actually. Uh, you can book. What are by you talking way, which about? Is, which, this... which, 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 by the way, is less impressive than your Chick-fil-A uh, point accumulation, which I must admit, very impressive. Very impressive. Yeah, I've never actually redeemed... Uh, any, I can any tell. I redeem mine immediately. As soon as I get enough points, I'm like, yep, let's go. Chicken sandwich. Well, you know, you know, maybe <laughs> some of us want to save it up so we can order 285 nuggets at one time, which is what I could do with my points right now. 285 orders of nuggets. Uh, yeah. I, I, no, I think I, it, I've calculated out to the actual nuggets. It's not a great redemption value. That doesn't on, sound like on, a great Chick fil A points. It sounds like a monthly total that I eat. You know what? It sounds like a delicious redemption value to me, Marble. It, it does sound like a d- delicious redemption value. Everything there is pretty delicious, so I'm I'm not going to disagree with you on that. But, but anyways, nonetheless, let's let's continue. What are you um, with a million points? It, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. This summer's like it, uh, occupancies, planes. They're, they're almost up to 100 percent, like pre-pandemic. This is like the golden age for travel coming up. Coming up. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope things go back to normal. I really do. I really want to travel. I had f- four vacations canceled last year that were all supposed to be abroad in Europe and multiple weddings, and it was going to be a really cool year, and all of it got canceled. I'm really hoping it goes back to normal because I'm I'm dying to get out there. Yeah, well, done, once I've done we road get, trips, but not like I haven't well, done once, like... Once we get those uh, vaccine passports and are allowed to go to the EU and Asia, I mean, we'll see. I've got a trip to, J- to Japan in June, which is like 90% chance not going to be allowed i think i got a trip to costa rica after canceling it three different times so I, I got some stuff in the works greece maybe next year yeah yeah i mean i'm i'm hoping uh, those places all sound like fantastic options japan's very high on my list of places to go next um haven't done too much of east asia like at all i've done thailand singapore and a little bit a little bit of a other countries here or there, but but never made it to Japan or South Korea. Very high on my list of places to go. If only you had some points. If only there was someone that could advise you on on some points. For reals. But speaking of uh, South Korea and uh, Japan, the Padres have two new players from South Korea and Japan. Uh, and the Padres have played seven games so far. They're four and three. Uh, been a pretty up and down season, certainly emotionally. Um, we'll talk about Tatis and, and some of the other topics in a little bit, but here we, here we are four and three. What's, what's your early impression? I think, I think we couldn't be unhappy about the team's performance. Obviously Tatis is an entirely different, um, subject, but out of week one, they've got a winning record. Um, they're, they look okay, you know. Their offense has looked very much alive at some times, and a lot of times they look like the 2017 Padres, but it's really hard to tell in, in one week. Um, I, I keep seeing a lot of grandiose uh, statements being made about the first week of Padres play uh, 
after they played what I would consider incredibly terrible offenses, um, I think I saw John Gennaro declare that it was the greatest bullpen in Padres history. There's been a lot of proclamations about, you know, Eric Hosmer's back. Um, I, I, I'm, re- I'm willing to wait. You know, I kind of want to see the team against an actually good team before we start making some judgments off of it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it'd be hard to say that the first week was anything, at least the performance, you know, it was, it was good. It was a good week. I mean, they lost the series to the Giants, but, you know, they're four and three. They've got a winning record. Fangraphs has them at ninety-two percent to make the playoffs right now. So, you know, I think we're. I think it was a good week. What, what do you think, Barber? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Tatis injury aside, because that itself just makes it not a not a great week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pleasantly optimistic still about the team. Like, I I don't I don't see anything. It's not like uh, one of their big offseason splashes has come in here and really flopped already. I think things have progressed pretty much exactly as you might expect. Starting pitching has been solid. Uh, we've gotten some bat performance from pretty much the entire lineup. I mean, at this point it actually feels like it's just Eric Hosmer and Victor Caratini carrying the whole offense at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and you know, defense has been fine. I, I think at this point it's like they've outside lost- of Tatis. I mean, the defenses look fine. Yeah, no, I mean, and I'm somewhat surprised by that. I think you can do a lot better than fam in center field. And I, uh, you know, I don't think we're big Hosmer fans defensively on this podcast by any means, but I think defensively they've been, they've been pretty good and pitching wise, very good. Bullpen looks fine, potentially mismanaged a little bit, but you know, those things, those things happen. I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I guess it's hard to draw a conclusion on seven games and I, I struggle with the day-to-day of checking Padres Twitter and the people freaking out about every tiny little thing that always happens and um, trying not to get too caught up in that and instead focusing on, you know, the bigger picture things. And I think from a bigger picture perspective, things are going fine. Um, Obviously I wish they were better than four and three, a lot of close losses, a couple close wins too. So it's hard to say if they've been lucky or unlucky. I certainly think the Mateo home run today was, a bit unlucky, uh, costing us the game. But um, yeah, I don't think there's anything to freak out about at this point, besides Tatis, obviously. I mean, and let's look at the obvious here. the The starting pitching outside of Paddock was pretty good. I'd say Paddock and Morahone was was pretty good. I mean, pretty good to great, actually. Um, the the three newcomers were great. I think Musgrove, Snell, and and Darvish. Musgrove was incredible. I, I, I sniped him so. at the end of all of my fantasy drafts, and uh, I look like a genius through one start. And of course, I'll probably get blown up on on Thursday, but or Friday, I guess, because we have no game tomorrow. But but yeah, no, I think um, to your point, I think the only blemishes starting pitching wise have been Paddock and Morahone, and you know Morahone, with the exception of the two homers, and it's hard to accept two homers, but like outside two solo shots, he looked pretty good. Like his stuff looks good. He's throwing 98 from the left side. He's got some movement like it. I can see that he's likely going to be at the very worst, a decent end of rotation option for a long time. And that's, that's great for the price we paid. You know, he would be worth it at that cost. Obviously you hope for more, but, but yeah, and Paddock didn't give up any home runs in his first start. Now it wasn't the most inspiring start, but there was a lot of, I would say like weakish contact that, that caused some of those runs in that start. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it was a terrible start. Obviously you want him to go more than four innings and, and uh, not give up any runs, but I still think, you know, all in all, it, it wasn't a terrible adding from pretty much anyone on the starting staff so far. You want to talk about Paddock at all? I mean, that's been one hot topic is, is what to do with Chris Paddock. And yeah, sure. To me, um, I'm, I guess this is somewhat controversial, but I think that I have Paddock above Morahone in my rotation rankings. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I, I think Morahone has the stuff, obviously. Like, we can see the stuff, but he seems to get hit. I mean, I'm going back to last year and, and basically all of his time in the major leagues. He seems to get hit um, quite a bit, you know, harder than, than Paddock, usually. Um I 
maybe he's not ready. You know, they're still stretching him out. But to me, he's more on the brink of falling out of the rotation than than Paddock is. Um, obviously, there's going to be a change when Lamette comes back, um, and, and whenever the team de- or or when the team deems Gore ready. Um, and to me, Morahone is the first one out and into the bullpen. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, you can just kind of tell that based on the fact that he's fifth in the rotation, right? He's probably going to be the one that that's the odd man out that gets skipped in the rotation when we don't need him, and all all those things. I, I made a comment on Twitter the other day that I think Morahone is really the seventh starter, right? I mean, Lament obviously above him, Clevenger when he's healthy would be above him too. Um, and I, I think there's also an argument that Weathers might jump over him at some point in time if he gets stretched out. Uh, so yeah, I. I I guess for me too, I'm not focusing too much on Paddock and Morahome because I feel like there's still so many back of the rotation options. And plus, when you get to the playoffs, like, dude, does the fifth guy really even matter? Not really. I'm focused more on does Snell look good? Does Darvish look good? Does Musgrove look good? And so far, those three look great. Um, right. Our, our playoff rotation. Yeah. It's it's really hard to be upset with what you're seeing from from those guys. I I think I uh, I'm definitely still on the Paddock side of the Paddock Morahome discussion. My reasoning is just that, and and part of this too is just uh, what, what it's crazy to me that when we signed Garrett Richards, there were so many people, and and you weren't on this side, so kudos to you. But like so many people that were willing to be like, yeah, you know, he's thirty two, coming off Tommy John surgery and all these injuries, let's give him a chance, high, chance of being a high risk, high reward pick, or chance of being a high reward signing, great. Um, but they won't extend that same token of like just like that same wishfulness is just gone on a 25 year old who two years ago was by all metrics pretty fucking good who didn't look that good in a 60 game season that everyone is very quick to hang an asterisk on and you know i agree with that to some extent but but i mean i think there's just a lack of consistency in the way we're approaching this and it's it's hard i know when he's going out there multiple starts in a row and I'm certainly his off the field demeanor breathes into this a little bit um, and doesn't look like the same guy that he was when he was first called up those first couple months. Um, and there's some truth to that, but I still think, you know, he's 25. He's already got at least one super plus pitch. Um, we've seen many players add pitches, change the way they play, you know, change their approach, change the percentage of time. They throw certain pitches in certain areas and improve a lot. And I think we would just be absolutely silly to just give up on a 25 year old who's already shown himself to be pretty decent at the major league level at some point in time when we would, by the same token, be willing to take on someone who's coming off Tommy John and hasn't been good. in I don't know what, what, what it was six years. So there, that's to me where I'm coming from on this. It's just like looking at the grand scheme of the argument and being like this, just these two arguments don't make sense together. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, he can't have an infinite leash. Um, if every start he's giving up two runs in four innings, that's not a very good starting pitcher, right? Um, so well, uh, I'm a, willing to let him work strictly, through it. Certainly it's certainly a strictly May. mediocre start. It's not, yeah. a bad, it's not actually a bad starting pitcher. I mean, that's a four and a half ERA. Like, that's not good, not bad. It's very mediocre. But I, yeah. I, think, the talk, I yeah. think the talk around him is that he's like Dennis Tankersley out there. And and I don't think he's pitched that bad. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think he's good. I think he's just not as bad as it's made out to be. He's a mediocre fifth starter-ish. You know, that's okay. Um, I guess there's potential for more. I, I I think you glossed over some of his off-the-field stuff. And to me, that's those are the glaring issues that I see. It, it's not necessarily the cowboy shtick and, and how annoying his brother is. No, that that, that but, doesn't bug me. It, I think I think that it's bugs comments. It's comments that he's made though about admitting he's essentially admitted that the commentary on him on Twitter or in the fan base or in the media gets to him. And, and to me, that's that is a red flag when yeah, you're a professional athlete. The ears. And, and you see people that are like, oh well maybe it's the fan base not being supportive enough of it. Well, he's a professional athlete. Like part of the job description is to deal is to block out and deal with the public comment. Right. Yeah. And also it's not like it was like initially like that when he first came up, there was tremendous support. It didn't, 
it didn't just disappear because people didn't like the cowboy shtick. It disappeared because he started pitching like shit. Like it wasn't like. Well, I know, some of us didn't like the cowboy shtick at all. Period. I, but I'm, I'm re- sure that was a very small minority of of the fan. I think most people were smitten with his early performance. I know I was. I want a burrito off of it, but, um, but yeah, he's. Okay, so that red flag is the biggest one to me. Um, the the mental acuity to block that out, I think that's that that's an issue. I mean, he's in San Diego. There's no media backlash. There's no hostile questioning from from Kevin AC. You know, it, he's not in Boston or New York. Like, you can't function as a professional athlete if people on Twitter get to you enough to affect your performance on the field. Which Paddock has all but admitted in, in his interviews with Kevin AC. I, I mean. That's disturbing to me, and that's something that can override his natural physical abilities on the mound. And so that's what that's what concerns me. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, and maybe that's that is what's driving it. I I, I still, at the end of the day, I still look at it and I say, well, here's someone who, at the age of 23, put up a pretty damn good season as a rookie. He's got a plus pitch. Let's give him a little bit more time. Certainly, if he can't figure it out, he can't figure it out. But I think giving up immediately now is just to me, it's still very premature. I think he 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 should have bought himself at least another. I mean, obviously, if if the next three starts he goes out there and throws zero innings and gives up twelve homers, you know that's different. But I'm, I but don't. That's think not that's really brilliant. that's not really how he's been pitching. No, I know. But, and so my point is, you know, I, I still think he deserves another at least you know two three he's months. Got a, he's got to figure out. He's exactly got a couple months until Mackenzie Gore gets going in, in the minors. If he gets going, if he yeah. Oh, is that is that your new target now that Tatis is good and uh... it's not a it's not even a target. It's just that he was supposed to be ready last year. There were issues. He's supposed to be ready before this season. There were definitely issues. I mean, I think that it's fair to say there's a question mark there that, uh, you know, until it's answered, it's it's a question mark. And I yeah, and I was someone who was very high on Mackenzie Gore when he was picked all throughout the minors. Very certain that he was going to be a high impact or at least had a very good chance of becoming a high impact starting pitcher. So I'm extremely disappointed that he's not ready, but I mean, just clearly by watching him in spring, I mean, they had to pull him out of innings. Was it two straight times, two straight games They had to take him out of, or no, I think it was the same game. They took him out of the, the game twice within the same game where you could, you know, sub someone out of an, or end the inning or whatever, whatever the stupid spring training rule was um, to get that pitcher out of there. Uh, They had to do that for him twice because he literally couldn't get out of the inning. I mean, that's not the type of guy that I think I'm banking on at this point. He's he's a high-risk prospect. Maybe he'll come up and be great. I really hope so. But I'm not thinking of him the same way I was thinking of him before last year. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you on that. I'm, um, I'm much I'm much higher on the odds of C.J. Abrams coming up and making a, a huge impact or, um, you know, Lamette coming back healthy. Like, those are, the to me, the more realistic sources of high upside that we have. I don't really... I see Gore as a source. I just don't see it the same way I used to see it at all. If anything, it's a, it's a nice sign of the team because they have the depth to where they don't need to call him up. I mean, old Padres would have called him up just based on his his uh, prospect value. Yeah. Um, so so it's nice that he's not good enough to 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 make this rotation. So you know that that's a positive. Obviously, it's a huge negative if Gore flops, but uh, you know. We'll wait and see. I, I'm eager to see him against actual competition because I think a lot of things are kind of skewed. Uh, oh, yeah. It's the, so the perception is skewed when he's just pitching scrimmages at USD. So Yeah, it's so hard to tell anything. And that's the biggest thing, I think, from last year was you lost an entire year of minor league performance. It's so hard to tell. Like, I have no – and that's why I have C.J. Abrams in this list. But it's like, I have no idea how good he is. I haven't – like, his stats end in, like, low A. It's like when – how are you going to make any judgment on this guy at all? He didn't play at all in 2020. Um, yeah, and that's and that's another piece of the puzzle here is, like, in the past, you had very consistent year-over-year data for all these guys, and we just don't have that now um, because of the pandemic stoppage. So it's it makes these conversations so much more difficult. Like, it's one thing to hear and to see that they've changed Mackenzie Gore's, you know, delivery and and you know you've heard these things about some mental issue but it's a it's another thing altogether to actually have like 100 innings of minor league data where you can point and be like yeah dude he walks 70 dudes in 100 innings like of course there's an issue we don't have that right we're going off of like kind of like hearsay and people 
shooting me DMs on Twitter with with uh, questionable historical accuracy. So like it's it's tough. Um, but I I if totally echo your sentiment though of, of it being incredible that the because in the past and even on this podcast we've made comments like, well you know there's a chance the Padres will be good in 2020. McGore could you know Gore could come up and be a six win pitcher. We're kind of like banking on those things happening to be good and. Gore's kind of an afterthought, at least for me. I know a lot of people aren't thinking of him that way, but I kind of am already. I've prepped myself for what I think is a reality that he's just not going to end up being a high impact pitcher. But um, obviously, I'd love to be wrong on that. But uh, but yeah, I, I think I'm basically not. Uh, I'm not putting any credence in any scouting reports from last year, positive or negative, because all of the scouting reports are from the team. This goes for all the teams like it's their own team personnel pumping up their own players, which is what they always do. And there's no third party, you know, Keith law. If Keith law writes something on one of the prospects, he didn't see them. He's just being told something from whatever team's personnel wants to tell him something. And so really to me, I'm not putting any stock in, in any of the reports. Uh, I, I, what, whatever it is with Gore, I, I need to see it on the field. And, and luckily this year we will all be able to. You brought up Garrett Richards. I have a question. Yeah, sure. uh, he gave, pitched two innings, gave up uh, six runs. Did you <laughs> furiously masturbate uh, during that? No, I did not. Um, no, <laughs> I actually hadn't seen that stat. Like I, I, I had seen that he had done poorly on Twitter, just based on shit getting retweeted into my timeline. But I did not actually go look at his stat line. Um, I did see a spring. There was uh, there was an article in. ESPN, I think at the end of spring training about how bad Garrett Richards was looking. And, uh, I did retweet that. I, I you know, I, I can only take so many victory laps. I think this one's been conclusively won. I mean, it was obviously conclusively won when he was like a throwaway reliever in the, in the playoffs last year, but, but yeah, <laughs> it is funny. I, I do find it very funny. It was just a waste of money. I mean, and it was like, and the thing is it was an obvious waste of money and, it, it was kind of weird that there were so many people who didn't see it as an obvious waste of money, including the team, obviously. Well, but, look, um, you, you don't need to put too much stock in what James Clark thinks. It's fine. <laughs> um, you, you brought up CJ Abrams, uh, our beloved short, shortstop prospect. Um, let's talk about our uh, major league shortstop situation yep. right now. Yeah, not good. So uh, for those of you who have never watched a Padres game uh, to tease, suffered what looks like it's going to be a recurring shoulder subluxation injury. I'm not going to pretend to be a doctor and an expert on this, but it, based on what I've read, it sounds like he has an issue where his shoulder is repeatedly coming out of or close to coming out of socket. Um, and that's not gradually, good, obviously. Gradu- it's gradually tearing his labrum. Gradually. Right? Yeah. And it's a non-contact injury too. I mean, th- those are always the worst in sports. I mean, obviously in football and basketball, they're, they're different. Um, cause they tend to be high impact knee injuries or Achilles injuries. But anytime you see something where it's like a guy can't swing the bat without getting hurt. I mean, that's to me, that's, uh, it's just not a good thing. I was cautiously hoping that it was maybe his hand or his wrist or something. Cause it was so hard to tell from the initial video, but obviously now we have some, uh, confirmation that it is shoulder. He's got an MRI. It sounds like, and stop if you've heard me th- say this before, we're going to be taking a rest and rehab approach with this injury. Um, it's been very effective in the past, hasn't it, Marver? It's you, worked. You enjoy analyzing the, the data. Yeah, it works. Every, no, it, it doesn't work. But this is very different, right? It's not a. Let's, it's not a forearm that- elbow injury for a pitcher. It's. It's. I haven't even seen this many injuries. Um, it took me a while of searching. So I, I, I have an injury database and I went through that injury database trying to find shoulder subluxation and I did not find very many. Well, Conforto last year. Yeah, there's Conforto. I think uh, Devin Mezzarocco, um back in I think 2015, he did rest and rehab. Didn't work for him. He's coming off like a four and a half win above replacement season. He looked like an awesome hitting prospect. Struggled, I think, through the first month of the year. Decided to get the surgery. He has never been the same player. So well, we not... should start. We should start looking at what the torn labrum <laughs> injuries are because that's 
that's the that's where it would be headed if it yeah if if the injury worsens um let's talk the game theory on this i mean we're not doctors i i can't tell you about it i I, like i I know that the labrum is important and if it tears a lot it can be an extremely major life affecting Mm -hmm. injury career um it could be i mean and that's the concern i mean i was holding my breath if it was completely torn labrum well i know the history of baseball players with torn labrums it's very bad I mean, it's, sure. it's gotten better. Some of quarterbacks, them quarterbacks sometimes as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Andrew Luck did not look the same when he came back from that injury. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Drew Brees had it, but obviously he went on to a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. But it wasn't because of his arm strength. But part of the reason that he ended up in New Orleans was because that's such a high risk injury. Um, you know, the Dolphins famously passed on him because it is such a high risk injury. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. It's 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 entering territory now where it's uh very nail biting. Um, but yeah, so, let's talk the game through. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the Padres have decided, you know, they were faced with, with two decisions. They could, they could do surgery now, um, or they could do what they're doing, which is rested rehab, put him out there until he hurts himself again to the point that he can't play. Right. That this, those are essentially, that's essentially the decision that they made. Right. Um, did they make you look it at what, I mean, I, that's the only thing I would push back on there. Did, did the teammate decision or is Tatis ultimately AC, the one making the decision? AC went on Darren Smith today and said essentially it was a team and Tatis decision. Okay. Um, and, and he said exactly that, that 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 was the decision they made. That, that surgery was an option. I mean, their wording was very specific that they chose this path um, over surgery, which was an option on the table right now. Um, so... You look at the outlook for baseball, the the labor situation, stuff like that, with where there's a potential for 2022 to not happen. I started thinking about what the factors were here. Like, yeah, he could get the surgery now, but there's there is a non-zero chance that he would then be ready to play in a season that would be canceled, right? And so I, I've kind of come around on, on the game theory of putting him out there now or soon and, and dealing with the consequence, assuming that, that they really think that it won't cause career changing, uh, injuries to him. Yeah. If it can't, which AC swears and it's Kevin AC again, which is weird because he just put out a column yesterday with, with a quote from a surgeon who said that the next step would be an injury that leads to career changing uh, issues in the shoulder. So um, (laughs) great. (laughs) But, but AC says that the team thinks that the result of this couldn't possibly affect future performance. So let's work off of that assumption. I I kind of get what they're doing then. I don't like it. Like I I, I feel for the player and, uh, but I, I get what they're doing. Do you kind of see it the same way? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it just comes down to the what is the likelihood of furthering the injury, like worsening the injury by playing on it. If it's if it is a case of look, this this can be played on. You can't make it worse by playing on it, but you need surgery eventually. Then, yeah, I, I don't see the issue with continuing to play him until it either becomes apparent that he's not the same player and he needs the surgery, or the team is a like uh, eliminated from contention or some mix of those two where it's like, okay, you're slightly worse. It, you know, and I'm just making shit up. You Darvish is injured now too. Like we should just cut our losses and just get the surgery. Now come back next season. I think you have to kind of play it that way, but it all hinges on that one assumption of like, can it get worse? What is the likelihood of it getting worse? Um, and I don't know that. And I, I don't really know how many people actually do know that, like, scientifically. So at this point, it is uh, gambling, in my opinion. And I still I still think, though, if the experts you've, you've spoken to, and, and I would hope that they've, they're getting many multiple opinions on this, and it's not just their own team doctor who has been questionable in the past. I don't know if it's the same doctor, but whatever they've used to make this decision in house in the past, not been the most, uh, not been the highest quality of decision-making. So I would hope that there's a lot of independent eyes that are looking at this and giving, giving them this, but I kind of come back to uh, the thought that if, yeah, if it can't get any worse by him playing, 
then I don't see why you wouldn't at least try to play him anymore. So from a game theory perspective, I get it. And certainly, by the way, there's nothing stopping them from saying, all right, let's wait 10 days, let's wait 20 days, let's wait a month and see how it is and then make a decision. Like if it doesn't affect when he's going to come back, if the recovery is five, six months, well, then obviously if you get it now or you get the surgery in middle of May, it's not going to make a difference for when he's back for the Padres because either of those scenarios, he's out for this year and he's back next year, right? So so from my perspective, yeah, give it 10 days, see how it feels in 10 days, that's fine. Um, But I don't know, you know, it's an injury. I've never really had a – a shoulder injury. I don't know anything about these injuries other than if a pitcher gets a torn labrum, they're fucked. That's pretty much the extent of shoulder injuries that I know. Um, so I did have a sublex to Patella though in college, not very relevant, but, uh, I was told to rest and rehab it, which is what I did. And about, I would say maybe two weeks later, I was back to playing Snappa and basketball and my career was saved. And so, you know, there's some hope, but it was really painful. Like very, very painful and just so odd. Um, came out of nowhere, just popping out and in. It was just not not a fun situation. So I definitely feel for him. It looks like he was in a lot of pain. It doesn't look like it's anything he can really control because I mean he's just swinging a bat like normal. Um, so it so was a very you, somber day. You brought it up that you know I think you said it hasn't affected his performance. Do you think it's affected? I, I'm assuming you you don't think it has affected his performance because he's it's so hard looked, to tell. I mean, he's he looked, looked like shit. In the, the he's looked very game. bad in the yeah. field. Um, yeah, he obviously hit one monster home run, and and I'm not willing to make any judgments on his hitting off of the four games he played. Yeah. But he certainly looked awful in the field, all with throwing. Um, it's not his throwing shoulder that's hurt, right? It's his left. It's his left one. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not a biomechanicist, but like, I, I, I don't, I don't know what the left shoulder has to do with his throwing motion, but just based off the results, I mean, his throws were off. I mean, he certainly looked worse than he did at the beginning of spring training, I think. Um, so it's, it's hard to say what is and isn't affect affecting him on the field. Um, the quote that I saw in the Kevin AC column is it's from some surgeon from, from Cedar Sinai, but um, he wrote continuing to play involves some risk. You can make it substantially worse. You can have some bone loss. What's more worrisome is he can tear the capsule in the shoulder or even the rotator cuff. Once those other structures start getting damaged, the ultimate outcome of a surgical repair isn't as good. And to me, that was the most alarming quote that I'd read um, at the point that surgery can't bring him back to a hundred percent, I think is, 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 is terrible. Um, so I, I hope the, uh, and again, these doctors that the radio stations and Kevin AC have consulted have not examined his MRI. And there's really only one doctor that has, it's the team doctor. So, you know, obviously take everything that you read, especially from David Chow, who murdered junior Seau, um, take those <laughs> with a grain of salt. So, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess I will say what it comes I, down to is if, if, and this was something that Oscar, I think posted on, on Twitter, but if surgery is inevitable, then, then what's the harm in waiting 10 days just to see how it feels and see how. Right. He's out this season anyways, if it goes to surgery, yeah. like he can wait till June if he's not on the field, like yeah. whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, one thing that, that has bothered me is I, I've seen this a lot where it's like, he's on a, you know, 14, however many years he's on 14 years contract. Um, like there's no rush, but to me, there actually is a rush. Like there is a, certainly a window right now that Mm -hmm. is, is critical. Um, Manny Machado is in his prime. Um, Eric Hosmer is on the other end about to go over the hump into where first baseman usually decline. Like there is a prime season left, right? Um, Blake Snell's here this year and next, right? Um, Darvish here this year and next, I think. How long is Musgrove here? Also about the same. Regardless, there's, there, there is this defined window with the team that has been assembled right now of stars that doesn't go 14 years. You know, it goes two years. And so to me, what the team is doing is trying to maximize our current realistic window to, to compete. Um, and to me, that's that's a good bet. I think. 
That that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean by all missing, means I, I'm miss- on board with him waiting and, and I, I, I think there is some some aspect of this that, you know, you have to treat them individually. And so if you know, you give it ten days, see how it feels, I think they should potentially give him another MRI or whatever, check up on swelling. Like I I just don't know this shit, right? But but you do your checkup, you you figure out whatever it is. Uh, that you can measure uh, between now and then. And, and if it seems fine, you know, let him take up some baseball activities again and see how it's going. Make sure that he's being completely honest about it. Cause obviously if he wants to play, he's going to potentially say things that, you know, will no. encourage the team to let him play. But I think you gotta, you gotta sit back and make uh, a smart judgment. <laughs> As as much as you shouldn't listen to Twitter doctors, you also shouldn't listen to players being doctors either. Like no, definitely uh, not. I I don't trust anything players say about anything. I, I'm not going to players to ask about uh, the latest going ons in in political science. You know, like it's not in their field of expertise. So uh, similarly, I'm not going to go to Fernando Tatis and ask him medical questions, like uh, advice. Yeah. You know, no, it's um, more like, do you have pain or not? And and. If he says no, you don't you don't accept it. If he says yes, then you treat it. You know what I mean? It's one sure, of those yeah. things where it's like only an affirmative answer means anything. So so we're not doctors, but what we can talk about is what the effect is on this year's team. Um, losing Tatis is I, I have also seen it's like it's no big deal. We've got all this depth. And then they list a bunch of names that include like Tuca Pita Marcano playing shortstop. And and there's no I, I, obviously the depth is better than usual, but there's no really getting you don't around replace it. Like, like that. we're looking at like minus what five to six war. If Tatis doesn't play this season, um, net war between what, what replaces him and, and what he could have or would have produced. That's a major hit to this team. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tatis is the most valuable player on the team by, by any projection. So it's, it's a hit. I mean, Simborski, I think, reran his zips, which I will say are favorable because he's projected Hassan Kim to be a four-war player. Um, Seems I don't, a bit lofty. I don't think based that's on my early true. On but <laughs> I, I think I think what Simborski showed was a reduction of four wins um, based on Kim being a four-war player. Realistically, I I I would argue it's minus six wins or so. Does that worry you at all? Well, obviously it worries me. I mean, they're a completely different team without Tatis. And and I still think, yeah, I mean, there's a chance Kim's good. I honestly, from the early read looking at him, pretty skeptical, even though I still think it was a good and, and reasonable and it may signing. Not be that he's, it may not be that he's bad. He's a, no, double, he, he's a double A caliber player prospect that they've elevated into a starting position. That's risky. Right. Yeah, definitely. I, and you know I can squint and see a scenario where maybe Abrams is is ready sooner than than we thought, or Machado can can move over to short, and maybe they can find some cheap stopgap option at third, who's pretty good and on an expiring. Like I can see all these different ways of trying to make back some of that value, and and I think they probably will explore these. But going back a sec to the game theory part, I mean the other part of this is you know how much of how long really is the recovery time period, right? Because if if we want him ready by March of next year, well, six years before or six months before March is is what September. Yeah. So there's nothing stopping the Padres from postponing the surgery until June, until July. You know, just don't even play to don't even risk it. See where you are, and then if you think you're in a position where, look, we were making a postseason push. Why don't we roll the dice with with Tatis here? Then then maybe you go for it. At the same time, generally speaking, these gambles have been really bad in sports. The one that comes to mind the most is RG3, <laughs> which, uh, you know, could not have gone worse, really, where they gambled on his knee in the playoff game and, of course, suffered catastrophic injury and really never was the same player ever again. Um, so there's that aspect of it. But I, I do think there is an argument to be made that you just postpone the surgery until you can make a better decision about the team in general and where you are as a team, in addition to the additional information you get from learning whether Tatis is feeling good or not. And and then obviously, if 10 days from now he's still not feeling good and he doesn't think he can swing the bat the same way, he looks bad, 
then you just pull the plug. You know, it's a 13 year investment still you have in him. Um, don't fuck that up. But I think there's a lot between now and then that can change that calculation. And I think you just, you know, you treat it individually. I mean, that's at least how I would do it. I'm not the person with the $340 million investment though. So I think it's, a yeah, it, it's, it's not an easy, uh, it's not an easy question. There's, there's no good answer. Um, it's really sad. Uh, I, I don't think it kills the season though. Like I still have some optimism. Um, I mean, they're still projected for 94.7 wins right now. Yeah. I mean, even looking at recent teams, you know, it's like the, the nationals lost Bryce Harper and I remember everyone writing them off. You even wrote them off in a podcast in the middle of that season. And of course, Soto comes up, they go on and win the world series. So it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot that can change between now and the end of the season, even without Tatis. So I'm not going to chop the team up as, and the thing is in baseball, you, you should never feel like one player is the difference between obvious success, which is what I think people were expecting this season and failure. Cause that's not how it works in baseball. It works that way in the NBA. It definitely works that way with quarterbacks in the NFL. It does not work that way in baseball. It's a much more, the, the value is spread much more across the team. There are ways of making up lost value. I think Kim is at least a reasonable option for now. Again, one that I'm pessimistic on. Uh, and if he fails, I think there's plenty of ways. I mean, they still have so much prospect capital. And there are a lot of shortstops and third basemen that are available or will be available. Um, so obviously, you can move Manny to short. You can bring in a third baseman. You can bring in a shortstop directly. There's a whole lot of things you can do. So I'm not... I'm not writing off the season. I'm still very excited, but obviously the main attraction, my favorite player, he's not there right now. And I'm just holding my breath. So let me give you some names of players and you can just give a brief discussion of what, what you've thought of them so far. Sure. sure. Um, let's start with Ha Young Kim. He looks overmatched. I, I think the the thing is when he makes contact, I, I like the contact. Like it, it sounds good, good off contact the bat. today. He you did know, it. Died at the warning track. Almost, almost did it for us. I saw that. Um, he he does seem to make solid contact when he makes contact. I'm worried that there's a peak in the level of pitching that he can hit. I don't know if that's because I've seen some of that narrative. Um, I try not to pay attention to that at all, uh, or if I just think he looks slow against fast pitching. I don't know what it is. I'm actually um, a little concerned with what there, there have been some apologists for him and, mm-hmm. and what they, what their defense of him is, is, you know, he's just getting used to this velocity of pitch. Like he'll, he'll just speed up his swing and, and, and it'll be fine <laughs> to me. That's, that's incredibly concerning because speeding, uh, like adjusting at, at the big league level from seeing 90 mile per hour pitches to seeing 98 mile per hour pitches all the time is that's not great to me. Like that's not just a, a quick fix. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, you can that's cheat not. on the velocity and about two weeks later when the scouting reports get out, every pitcher is going to exploit that. So um, I, I don't know, not to say he couldn't ever fix it, but like I said, like KBO is double a level. I mean, he's, Maybe he needs some work. I, I I don't know. It's a little early to say, I, but yeah, I think I think for me, it's it's. I, I wanted to see more plate appearances out of him, anyways, before drawing a conclusion because narratives can get out of hand really quick. We see this in sports all the time, where it's just completely wrong. Like j- just all people get so invested in these narratives, and then data comes out, and it's just like that narrative was just garbage the whole time. And so for me, it's like this is a hypothesis. You he gets a month of at bats. We'll have a much better idea of who he is as a player, not just based on the batting average and stuff after that, but the strikeout to walk ratio, the swinging strikes, like all these things will feed into that opinion. And so for me, I don't, I'm, I'm skeptical, but the contact has been fine when it's hit his bat. I mean, he, he's had some that were hit really hard. Um, so that gives me some optimism, but obviously the proof is in the pudding. So, so we will see. So for him, I'm still, I'll give him an incomplete, I guess, but a skeptical incomplete. Okay. Manny. It, it, fine. He's fine. No, I don't have any, I don't have any concerns about Manny. Yeah. Look, his, he's, he's um, a streaky guy. We, we know he's a streaky hitter. It, last year he had 16 home runs in like a 
in a shortened year, he's going to be fine. I'm his no exit worries. velocities have been, you know, off. He's leading the majors in exit velocity. Yeah, right no, now. no worries. So, he looks great. Yeah. Uh, Cronenworth, who I think we've discussed on the podcast. Like I, I like wasn't good. I wasn't going to yeah. be surprised if he fell off. Yeah. And I, he, I wasn't, he just hasn't this year. He's got that Denorfia ness to him where it's just like, you just feel like he's a gamer. I mean, defensively he's nails. Like I, I really like him. His versatility defensively, especially at first base. Um, I think he has a really good approach at the plate. He doesn't seem to swing and miss very often. I don't even know. Has he swung and missed a pitch this year even? I feel like if he has, it's like two times maybe. I don't know, but he's only struck out once. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very impressed with him. Uh, and I I was kind of like you. I thought there was going to be a major drop-off from him. But, you know, players do improve at the major league level. He seems like a contact sort of hitter. I mean, he was advanced when he came here, so that we shouldn't have expected too much of a learning curve for him. And I think he's been... He's been better than advertised, in my opinion. I would love to see him pitch, to be honest. In a blowout game, I think that'd be interesting. But they don't like seem in to a, be interested like in, in a it. like in a perverse way, like how I wanted to see Alexia Marista pitch. No, like I'm genuinely curious to see him pitch. He's not going to pitch. I mean, he had, like, some, he had some decent he's like nine innings. He's in his career. He's yeah. not a pitcher. Yeah, it's some decent peripherals there, though. I would be curious to see it, at the very least. Very entertaining, at least. Okay, uh, Tommy Pham. Uh, he's broken. He looks, swings, he, he, swings, looks like, he swings so hard. He's <laughs> trying so hard out there. He, he reminds me of two players, like very late career King Caminetti at the plate, just like swinging out of his shoes and just looks physically beat down. Uh, and then also the version of Matt Kemp we had here. So those are both not not great comps that you want to hear now granted he was almost murdered this offseason so i'm very happy he's on the team and still playing um it would be nice if there were some uh progress made in that murder investigation um pimp lords pimp lord is working on that he's working hard but uh but yeah um he does not i i guess Let, let's i think we need to find a good we, we need he's, to consider he's... finding a replacement for him already let's say the good he's been okay in the field you know, they pushed him into center field and like, he's been, he's been fine. He's about to get replaced on Saturday when Grisham comes back, but you know, yeah. he hasn't killed us. It's not like when Will Myers played center in, in 2015, like he's been fine. Yeah. Yeah. What I, mean, I like about Tommy Pham is when he strikes out, uh, Bally sports, San Diego has a mic right on him and he, he curses the loudest. Yeah. I mean, I, and- I've had to console my crying child several times because of it, but for me, it's been very entertaining. I mean, to be fair to him, it's not like he's like had, you know, 30 plate appearances and struck out 15 times. It, it, it's not that at all. He, he hasn't done that. And he even stole a base successfully, too. So I, I think the characterization I'm giving is maybe a little bit uh, exaggerated. But but just the eye test, he looks older than he's playing. That is playing age. You know what I mean? He, yeah. He, and he you looks know, like he's I, someone who's had multiple like. Well, he's 33. I mean, this is yeah. this is when people f- decline. I mean, the Rays knew what they were doing. Uh, maybe, yeah. I mean, I mean, look, let, let's. Uh, I, I'm not going to say he's done. Uh, he may pick it up. I mean, but he wasn't good last year, and he hasn't been good this year. So you know, he's hitting. He's hitting 203 as a Padre. Make of that what you will. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, he's hitting 203 as a Padre. He's still walking a lot, though. That's the thing. Sure, he does yeah. draw a lot of walks, and so. You know, at some level, if he's a replacement level defensive center fielder, that becomes like a pretty decent corner outfield defensive and he's drawing walks and he still has a little bit of power left. He's still a starting option. I just feel like uh, I don't know about the ceiling for him. I'm not very optimistic, but obviously he's been hurt the whole time he's been here. So I have, we haven't really gotten the best of him anyways, uh, but I'm not a huge fan with what I've seen so far. Uh, last name in this game, uh, Jace Tingler. Uh, mediocre. I mean, it's so hard with managing. I, I used to get very caught up, and I still do whenever I wa- when I watch the game, in in what the manager can control in game from like a substitution perspective, bullpen management perspective, pinch hitting, and um. But I do think there's so much that happens outside the game, and the Padres do appear to be. You know, all reports are positive clubhouse, all those things. So 
it's hard to ignore that aspect of it. But from an X's and O's perspective, he's mediocre, I think. Like I um I did like when they pinch hit the other day, uh, or I think they were planning on pinch hitting. Um no, I think they did pinch hit. Uh early in the game, like fourth inning, bottom fourth, maybe when a pitcher could have gone out for another fifth inning. Like those are the sort of things that an NL pitcher needs to do, um, especially now that we know so much about pitcher drop off after the first two times through the order and those different things. It was one of my biggest pet peeves with Bud, La- Bud Black as he would just let his pitchers hit. They would suck, you know. Obviously, they get out. He'd give up that advantage or that opportunity, and then the pitcher would only give you know pitch maybe one more inning and give up a run. It was just the dumbest. It never made any sense. I think Tingler's a little bit better on that. I still, I don't know. I, I don't have that much confidence in his bullpen decisions. Um, How about his management of Stammen? That I mean, that's been yeah. one lightning rod. Yeah. Stammen, no, no one could have predicted that Craig Stammen would already have two at bats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, Stammen has more offensive WAR than Fernando Tatis has that's this year. Ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but I, you can't really use WAR in small samples like that, anyways. But, but yeah. <laughs> I um yeah that's definitely on, on the negative list for him. I think that the the issue is again none of the managers in the major league baseball are perfect at all. And so if you got rid of them because of these in-game decisions, I'm I'm old enough and wise enough now to know that whoever they brought in would be just as bad. Um you know, they're not going to have someone in their front office make these decisions for them. like they they really should have like one of their computer analysts who's down there going like Yo, you have to pinch hit here. Like you're an idiot if you don't pinch hit here. What other well, considerations could you possibly have? And the thing is, if there are, so, you know, so the thing is, there are considerations. And to me, Tingler Tingler's bullpen management, I, I think, has been somewhat questionable. But as far as like the pinch hitting goes, I, I think that AJ has kind of put Tingler behind the eight ball in some ways. Um, he doesn't have that many bats to bring off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's been something that's influenced things like leaving Craig Stammen in where Tingler will have like two people left. And one of them is Camposano on the bench who they don't want to bring in in case they need an emergency catcher. Yeah. But if you, so, but, but, but how like, often do like, you actually need an emergency catcher? You know what I mean? Like, like if you do I the math, I, I don't if know. You do the I, math on that, it's just like a bad assumption to be like, and these are I, some of the, the pitfalls that modern baseball still has in my opinion, where they have this, Oh no, you got to keep it back. Catchers. Like, no, you don't. Your catcher gets hurt, you lose the game, and that's going to happen once every year, you know. But like you're giving up all these pinch hitting opportunities, letting Craig Stammen hit multiple times because of some strange scenario that would rarely ever happen. And what, what's the worst thing that happens? You you put Craig, you, you put a Cronenworth behind the plate or something? Like I, I don't know. To me, some of these things are always. It's like well, we got to avoid this worst case scenario, but it's like the worst case scenario is Stammen's hitting. <laughs> or like worst case scenario is you have base load and the pitcher is still up and uh, you're not pinch hitting and like Campusano, if you're going to play him, I mean, he was rumored to potentially be a DH candidate for us, right? Like if he's rumored to do that, he should be pinch hitting every time there's an opportunity to, if the catcher gets hurt, the catcher gets hurt. You deal with that for a couple innings in a game. It's not the end of the world. I think there's some question about whether they need 14 pitchers. Right I agree now. with that. Like, like is Tim Hill or Taylor Williams, are, are they really critical here right now? Uh, I mean, it seems like given what we've seen in the first week that the team could use one more bat for Tingler to bring off the bench. Uh, yeah. Like, I, and, and to be honest, uh, and he could also use one less Tim Hill to bring out of the bullpen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> um, like yeah, I know I mean, we, baseball I, is tough. It is tough with 40 pitchers on the roster. To it's got to be a balance between the two. You know, um, I think part of NL baseball is figuring out when when you let the pitcher hit and when you don't. And sometimes the answer to when you let your pitcher hit is I'm not going to let him hit in the third inning of this game. And and like that's just the reality of what the math tells you. And you have to be able to manage around that. Um, so, um, yeah. And this is part of why the super utility I think is, is, is like still has a lot of value in, in national league baseball. Um, just having someone who's kind of a jackknife that, that can, you know, 
be used in all these different scenarios, even as an emergency catcher, you know? I don't know. I uh, I guess I'm I, – I give Tingler a pass because he's, he is better than Andy Green and Bud Black. There's no doubt in my mind he's better than both of those guys and managing. He has things to improve. You know, I'll give him time to improve them. He's not perfect, certainly not. Um, I do think it was kind of good that Hosmer sat against the lefty already once this season. I think realistically he probably should sit more often against lefties. Um, potentially. Who did they who did they use instead of him? I think Cronenworth played first. That who's game. who's also bad against lefties? <laughs> yeah, that's true. But he's he's plus defensively though, at least. Sure. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not totally terrible at first base like uh, like Hosmer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm with you. Tingler's definitely better than Andy Green. That's it. I'll I'll leave it there. Yeah. Um, let's get to the last topic. Um, are you going to any games? Have you been to a game? I haven't been to a game yet. I definitely plan on going to some games. Um, I uh, every single day so far for the Padres, I've checked StubHub and shit before like an hour before the game to see if I should hop in my car and go. And I've uh, been pretty disappointed with uh, the cost of tickets still. Obviously, there's been very limited supply. So I just haven't found a real uh, push to go. I don't want to sit in the worst seats you've ever heard of. Um, I'm not that desperate. Uh, I also think, you know, and I think you probably will share this point with me, that if, if it's not the same experience, and there certainly seems to have been a lot of hiccups with ordering food early on and all these various things, there's less of a reason for me to go. Well, I like walking around the stadium. Like I, I, I like going to the concession stands. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like that feeling, and to me, that's part of the experience of why I go to the game. Um, right for the food court. Sure, yeah, and, and there's you know beyond that, there's meetups, there's the food court, there's the beer court, there's there's things that I expect from my baseball experience. Um, my child will want to go to the playground. I don't know if that's open. Um, you know, it's I, to me, it's it's kind of like tra- I mean, we started the show talking about travel, but it's kind of like travel. Like, OK, you can go to Venice if you want, but everything's closed. Um, you can't go inside of the the bars uh, or the restaurants like it's not the same experience. So do you want to waste your time going to Venice? You, you only have so many times in your life you can go to Venice, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to waste it on a on a. 60% experience when if you wait a year, you'll have a hundred percent experience. I, that's no. kind of where, I, where I'm at with it. Um, you know, people go to want to go to Disneyland as soon as it opens. Well, it's not going to be a hundred percent experience. Is, is that, is that okay with you? It's going to be a 50% experience, but it's going to be full exactly. price. So, you know, I, I guess I kind of feel like that with the Padres game. Like I'll go, I guess if someone gives me a ticket, but I'm, I'm not dying to go. Like I've, uh, I'm fine watching on TV. I enjoy watching the team on TV. I'll, I do think I'll say that. I do, I do think things will change fairly quickly here. Um, you know, sure. Yeah. Things are opening. General population on April 15th. There are even some places in San Diego that have had too many doses and have just started giving them out to anyone over the age of 16 who comes to get them. So I, I am optimistic that by, you know, end of April, uh, mid-May, I think things will be much more back to normal at the ballpark. Sure. I, and, I think and, like the touchless ordering mandate will probably be pulled at some point yeah. and, and that's pretty big. Um, so yeah, I think, th- I think you're right. I think things are going to start looking more normal. Um, and so I'll probably look in summer sometime to go. Yeah. It's just, I definitely plan on going to a bunch of games though. My kid, he, he gets it. Like I put baseball on now and he watches, he has a Padres hat. Like he, he points at the screen. You know, he, he, I, I really want to take him out to the ballpark and have him see it. It's just a matter of figuring out like when when makes the most sense, and I feel like early on in the season, I will let the people other people pay extra money and have them be the guinea pigs of figuring out how to make the system actually work reasonable, and then I'll go once it's uh, a little bit more back to normal. Because that's I and that's another part of it. I want my kid to see it when it's normal. Right. I don't want want him to go and think it's just you sit in this chair the whole time in the sun, you know, and that's. That's the and, experience. And I do want to walk them around and have them see the ballpark from different angles and all these things. Right. And they've got like the standing room areas closed. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not the same. And and with a kid, like you do need certain 
amenities to be available to have a kid sit through a three hour game if they're under five, you know, Um, let alone under two. (laughs) Yeah. Look, you need the playground open. I'm I'm, like, that's been a lifesaver. So, uh, I mean, I would say Isaac has an extremely high um, uh, attention, tolerance, attention. Yeah. But when when a kid's sitting in the sun for a Wednesday, like no, no sun. Yeah. Definitely no sun. We will be shaded. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be a night game where it'll, it'll be shaded hundred percent when we go. Yeah. Like, I think the Padres have look, I'm all for them getting revenue and supporting their business, but I mean, they're selling like park at the park seats that are behind the wiffle ball field with literally no, I mean, on the website it says no view of the field and they're still going for like 40 bucks per person to sit in that <laughs> park at the park box like to, to I, sit in the dog dog i'm not area. look i want to go to the stadium I, I love going to the stadium but i don't need to go that badly like i can i can wait um yeah. so that's what i'll be doing yeah yeah but i'm excited to go i'm glad the fans can go um it definitely seems like a different experience i'm i'm a little jealous for some of the teams that are back to close to full capacity and it looks like a, a bit more normal. Um, but uh, we'll get there. I'm, I'm sure we'll get there pretty soon. So I will uh, cautiously uh, wait until then. And then, uh, yeah, I'll be out there for sure though. Like I want to go to at least 10 games this year, um, which is not a lot, but um, it's a lot more than I've gone to in years past. And it's a lot harder with, with the kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You you should also look into Lake Elsinore as well for yeah. Training. I think we'll do. We'll, 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 yeah, we, I, I have a I have some lofty plans for just sports viewing in general for him this year. So yeah. Well, however, the team's four and three. We're in second place. We're projected still for the uh, second most wins in the National League, even without Tatis. So looking forward, I think we're we're probably have a fun week of baseball. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. more podcasting. Am I right? There will be definitely more podcasting. I'll I'll have more on this soon, but I, I am planning on uh, focusing much less on the day to day happenings of Twitter, which is just awful, and uh, getting back more into writing and uh, doing podcasts. So, well, I think folks, that'll. You heard it here first. The Keith Law manifesto is sounds <laughs> like it's getting closer. It 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 could. You know, I I will say this. I've written about. 60 to 70 pages of a fiction novel during the pandemic. So my, it's not like my writing has gone anywhere. If anything, it's gotten better. It's just not anything that anyone can consume yet. Um, but I do want to write more about baseball. Um, I do miss, and this, and I mentioned this to you before the show, but I, I do miss the way it used to be with talking about baseball where it was a UT forums and it was like very long format, you know, there, there might've been a character limit on there, but no one ever reached it. You could have a, a, a post that had multiple quote, I guess, quote posts in there, quote tweets, but you know, back for the forum, well thought out, you know, you could spend a bunch of time thinking about it. Um, I, I miss that. Cause I think the level of dialogue was like more authentic and meaningful, which is ironic because back then we didn't know as much about baseball in the same way that we do now we didn't have all these swinging strike stats and and pitch speeds and all those things um whereas now we have twitter which is like very limited characters and very i think factional is maybe the right word um and it's just not this you can't it's hard to even make the argument that eric hosmer should platoon in 140 characters um and so if we can't even have those sort of conversations on there, what level of conversation can we really get to? Um, which is frustrating. I think that's partially why Sackbunt Dustin might have left, um, who was the best Padres writer that we had, even better than any of the, the press options. Uh, so, and I, and I think I'm sort of going that way too, where if I have an opinion, I'm just going to write it in a regular format where I can get everything that needs to be said, all the nuance, all of that out there in a convenient format that, uh, and then I don't have to deal with the crazies on Twitter either. So, Oh yeah. If only we, if only we literally owned a website where you could write things in (laughs) long form and publish. I've been paying, Lord knows I've been paying for the, uh, (laughs) the good intelligence, uh, domain. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I want to start using it more. Also, the other thing that brought that up was, you know, our, our good, uh, 
our coworker, our intern, Chad, he uh, wrote an article about Bebo, Tatis Coin. And, um, you know, we were giving him stats on how many views it got. And I was looking at historical performance of the website. Man, we used to, we used to get a lot of views on the stuff we wrote. So, um, and I felt like that was more meaningful. So I'm going to try to get back to that some more. No idea on the time frame. Um, it's hard to get off Twitter anyways. I've deleted it off my phone probably 50 times. And then, of course, some new world event happens. And I'm like, well, shit, I got to see this. Or Pulisic scores a goal. And it's like, okay, I can wait six hours to get this highlight. Or I can just go see someone who <laughs> snipped the sky footage and uh, go see that goal immediately. So it's 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 hard to get off it. But I'm leaning much more towards regular podcasts and, and uh and articles, I think that's what people want more too anyway. So so hopefully this will be the start of something more this season, especially now that they're good. I'd be you know, I'm I'm hopeful we can do this at least every month. Hopefully more. I just made a major yeah. capital investment in new equipment for this podcast. Well, especially now cuz I like all that entertaining entertainment dollars that we didn't spend this last year, uh that didn't go anywhere for me. It's just it's it's all piled up. So I'm down to go open a tab at uh, all these local breweries that I'm sure could use our business, record some more podcasts. We, we, we could do like a live game one at some point too. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, I agree. I th- let's, let, yeah, let's get the podcast back, back going. I'm in. I'm I don't in. know if you heard, but uh, on hot tub podcast Padres or whatever, uh, there was a discussion a couple weeks ago where, uh, which one's the hot tub one? Sorry. <laughs> it's Gennaro. It's Gennaro. Oh, okay. Nelson. Okay. Uh, Gennaro actually said that, the name of it, to be honest, Gen- Gennaro actually said that we were uh, like his favorite podcast because he learned something from this. And then Elston um, stayed real quiet, like uh, like he wanted to disagree, but didn't want to publicly. Mm-hmm. But uh, their main point was we don't put out enough content to really be considered one of the best podcasts, which yeah, that's, it's a fair uh, it's a fair thing, I think. Um, so so maybe let's let's do more. I, mean, I you wouldn't know, say we're Potters you know the, and Pines, but we're, we're almost there. <laughs> You know the hundred times in the last year where I said, uh, "Hey, let's podcast," and then you said, yeah. "Okay," and then I just didn't hear from you for a month. Yeah, let's yeah, maybe yeah. eliminate that and uh, right, get some right. podcast. Fifty going. this time, fifty. Yeah, that's fine. Fifty tries. Okay, cool. Always improve. That's a good life lesson for people out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe we can just shoot for like a regular time and just make that work. <laughs> yeah, let's let's try that. Okay. Well, um, yeah. So four and three, looking okay. Uh, holding my breath on Tatis. Um, but uh, yeah, this is better than I think any start of the season for the Padres, generally speaking, in a while. Uh, real season, obviously. Um, so yeah, things are good. And until next time, go Padres. Go Padres.